Welcome to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors and collectors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our live interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, what they have in their personal collections, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their life and writing in revealing conversations with our book specialist, Roger Nichols. And find us at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com. Now sit back and enjoy a few minutes with Modern Sign Books. Here's Roger. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Roger Nichols. Our guest today is the talented and prolific Kevin J. Anderson. If there is a corner of the SF universe he's not written about yet, just wait. He's probably on his way right there now. One of his latest is Clockwork Lives, a steampunk companion of stories with an unusual co-writer, Neil Peart, drummer and songwriter for the rock band Rush. It's set in the same universe as the previous Clockwork Angels, which was based on the concept album by Rush. We're very pleased to talk with Kevin this morning. Good morning, sir. Well, good morning, Roger. I'm having a great time being here. You woke me up early in the morning. I've got my coffee, and that way I get, the, get an earlier start on my writing. So who knows? I might be even more prolific today. Okay. Well, great. We'll, we'll take a partial credit for that. Then. Uh, it seems like an unlikely writing combo. Uh, you know, I would uh, think of like, other rock drummers don't leap to mind as somebody you collaborate with. Um, you end up with with uh, Phil Collins doing Susu Studio. This isn't going to work well. How did this thing happen? Well, I've actually known Neil Peart, the, and I'll pronounce it Peart, so I can okay. uh, have all your readers know that I know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, Neil Peart uh, from Rush. I've known him for like 27 years now. Um, my very first novel called Resurrection Inc. was based on a Rush album called Grace Under Pressure, and, or inspired by it at least. Mm-hmm. And I put that in the acknowledgments when it was published that I, I, I loved the music of Rush and they had inspired a lot of my stories. And Neil read that book and wrote me a seven-page single-space fan letter about how much he liked it. And that was about 27 years ago. So um, we've corresponded, been friends ever since, and they've continued to inspire me and um, I've had my fairly successful career, and they certainly gods of rock and roll music themselves. Uh, that been together for forty some years. That they're kind of taking some time off right now after forty years. Anyway, um, several years ago, Neil contacted me, and they were thinking about doing a concept album, which was uh, steampunk fantasy, uh, a big adventure with airships and pirates and a clockwork carnival and, and lost cities and, and all kinds of cool things. Um, and Neil started brainstorming the story with me, the whole the overall storyline. And fairly soon after that, he asked if I would write the novel version of it because it's a the album is a story in Clockwork Angels. I mean, it starts from first track to the last track. It's like, oh, Pink Floyd's The Wall or Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band or uh, Tommy by The Who. It's a tradition in, in rock that some of the big albums have a story. But this time we've actually got a novel that goes with it. So uh, Neil wrote the, the lyrics for the songs and brainstormed the characters and everything with me. And we wrote uh, the novel of it, which is, is one of my my very favorite novels. I really enjoyed working on it. And, of course, it's secretly laced with all kinds of inside Easter eggs of Rush references and lyrics and everything. So anyway, we, we wrote that book, and 
uh, it came out and instantly hit the New York Times bestseller list, which was very gratifying to me because there were several of my traditional publishers who expressed skepticism, like, well, how do you write a novel based on an album? And, and, and do Rush fans even read? And we oh, clearly that's proved a it wrong. Yeah. Uh, and that book sold very well. And then um, two years or so went by, but, but as we were brainstorming the first book, Neil and I just kept, the characters were so interesting to us, and a lot of the the like minor characters, the, the B-string characters who appeared for a chapter or two, it, it seemed to us that they had their own stories. And we kept thinking of, well, we could tell the bookseller's tale or the steamliner uh, captain's tale or the pirate's tale. And, and it just more and more of those came together. And I was looking for a way to, I didn't want to just do a, here's a collection of stories of some characters. And we ended up coming up with an, an entirely different novel that's sort of woven around the short stories, uh, almost like a steampunk Canterbury Tales. And uh, so anyway, that, that was called Clockwork Lives, and that came out a few months ago and um, has sold very well. And, and if you get a chance to look at it, and I know this sounds like a sales pitch, but if you get a chance to look at it, it's one of the most beautiful books that I've ever had published. Uh, the publisher did like red leatherette um, cover on it with gold embossing and, and there's like marbled in papers and line drawings and color printing in it. It's the kind of book that, that you don't pick up at an airport because it's not at all a throwaway book. It's a, you, you, it's a beautiful book just to turn the pages and see the design and things. So, so I give compliments to my publisher for doing such a great job. Right, right. The, o- the only caveat I would have as a reader is that those beautifully designed little page numbers on the left and right are in about three-point type. And for old people, uh, <laughs> I had to get a magnifying well, glass out to check the page well, number. In that, That's case, in that case, listen to the audiobook because uh, Neil Peart actually, well, the, for Clockwork Angels, Neil Peart reads the audiobook of it. He's got this wonderful, resonant, rich voice. And, yeah. and it's a, when I was listening to it myself, it was just a little fanboy thrill for me to be listening to one of my idols from rock music reading the words that I had written and um, very satisfying for that. Oh, I should, I should think so. Like a couple of the things in, in reading the book, and, and this is one of the things is that I, I take notes as I go and I fill pages with clever lines that you put in here. And I well want to throw a few of them at you to get some reactions to you. Um, one is, of course, the, the framing device, the, the structure that you set this up with where Miranda Peake uh, it gets this unusual inheritance of, of the book which will, with a drop of blood, tell write somebody's story in there, and she has to fill it up in order to get her inheritance. And in the process, she changes from somebody who says in the beginning, she says um, – she considers shifting her market day, but concludes it would be too unsettling to change. And usually in a movie, when somebody says this will never happen, expect it to happen in the next scene. So <laughs> you've set that up beautifully. Uh, well, it was kind of an inspiration for me, just, you know, the people that I meet and, and the things that I do in life. Um, I had one, it was interestingly tied to this because I had just finished up a big epic science fiction novel, like a 750-page manuscript that was that was published last summer called Blood of the Cosmos. And I was exhausted. I had written this, this huge, huge book and just turned it in. And 
so what I, I did was I thought I need to just go out hiking. I'm, I'm a, I live in Colorado. I'm a, I'm a big outdoors person. I love hiking and mountain climbing and things. And, and in fact, I do a fair amount of my writing that way with a recorder as I just walk along the trails and I'll, I'll dictate stories. But anyway, I was, I was exhausted from all this writing. So I, I just, um, threw the, the tent and the sleeping bag and, and some supplies in the back of my SUV and, and I took two days off. I, I drove like two hours to go to a state park in, in northern Colorado and, and I set up camp and, and I was, you know, sitting there and, and hiking around for that day and, and on Facebook I posted um some pictures of here I am hiking and camping and stuff. And one of my one of my fans wrote me and said Wow, you get to do such amazing and interesting things. I wish I could do stuff like that with my life. And now, granted, I have done some pretty amazing things. We've been to six of the seven continents. I've been to Dubai and Morocco and ridden camels in the Sahara Desert. I mean, that's cool stuff. But this guy was reacting that way because I threw a tent in the back of the car and drove two hours and paid $15 for a state park campsite. And I thought... What do you mean I get to do such interesting stuff? Get get your butt out the door and go do something with your life. <laughs> and it, it occurred to me that there are all these people that are just sort of sitting there living quiet, perfect lives without ambition, not going anywhere, and somebody needs to give them a swift kick to, to go out and, and, and accomplish something. And one of, the, one of my favorite lines in the book is um, after – as you said in the conceit, that, that Miranda Peake has to get her, her book filled up with, with collecting other people's stories because she had no story of her own. She didn't do anything with her life. And as she just goes from person to person, sometimes when she collects their stories, they amount to only like three sentences or yes. a paragraph or so yeah. because they had never done anything. And, and one of the lines in the book is um, um, some lives can be summed up in a sentence or two, other lives are epics. So yeah. She needs to make her life an epic, and that's kind of a, a both Neil and I have the same philosophy that um, you know this is this is your life. Go and go and live your life. Go see things and do things and experience things. And and for the character in this book, it's it's like dragging her, kicking and screaming out of her cozy little little cottage to see the world. And and we we were kind of pushing for that for some of the other you know, readers, obviously to you know. Spend fifteen dollars. Go out camping if you want to go have an adventure, and, mm-hmm. and don't write me to say, "Gosh, Kevin, you get to do so many interesting things." <laughs> yeah, that actually, there's another line in the book that you say that as she goes along and develops and starts an appreciation. I think one of the things that that uh, her father left her was this: first you'll hate me for it, later you'll love me for it. But she says, "And I may as well experience the limits of it if I'm going to experience it." Uh, and I, it's always dangerous to interpret the uh, voices of the characters as that of the author, but somehow I think that would be your philosophy too. Well, I mean, I, I've, you can sit around and watch other people live their lives. And now I, I told you I go hiking and I'm mountain climbing. I, I, I don't particularly think of myself as a, a daredevil. I, I like my body to be intact and I would like to live a few more years. So I'm not, um, you know, drag racing or skydiving, although there was a time when you probably could have convinced me to go skydiving. I'm not sure you could convince me right now. <laughs> um, but um, the, care, the people that I know in life, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who um, you know, go and, and do things, and they, they're 
you know, the, the beer commercial, the most interesting man in the world. Well, the most interesting man in the world uh, doesn't stay at home and watch TV. I mean, there there are other things to do. And obviously, I want every single person to sit at home and read my books. You know, that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but there's a lot of great things out there. And, and I'm, I'm looking out the window right now at, at snow-capped Pikes Peak. And I've climbed it twice myself and, and looking at so many other things. And, and you know, it's it's sort of a a crusade for people to, you know, make the most of it and see things and do things. Perhaps it would help if we had a, a pocket Dreamline compass. I want one, by the way. Yes. Well, and I, I, that's a little made-up thing, but it's really kind of cool. It, it, if I'm trying to remember it right, it, it has two dials on it, one that shows you where you are, one that shows you where you should be or where you should be heading. Um uh, there, there is a line on what I was just saying. There is a line from a a Rush song that's really appropriate. That that is it living or just existence? And you should actually be living instead of just existing. So Rush has Rush has influenced so many things that I could just quote it at at will here. <laughs> Speaking of which, just parenthetically, uh, loved the the feature film uh, documentary about that came out about a couple of years ago now. Uh, just that was wonderful. It was, it was very nicely done. The uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage. Yeah. You know what you're talking about? Yeah. 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 Very nice. Very nice thing. And they're uh, they just finished their R40 tour, and apparently there's going to be a documentary of that coming out. They just asked me for some uh, images of some of the Clockwork Angels artwork and Clockwork Lives covers and stuff. So I'm curious to see what they're going to do with that. All right. Well, let's slip away from unless there's anything else about uh, the. Uh, Clockwork Lives, which I absolutely loved, that you'd like to make sure that our, our listeners know about. Yeah, well, we could talk for hours, but I've written 130 books. I'm sure people want to hear about something else. So <laughs> I'd be happy to talk about what other, whatever other subjects you want to throw at I, me, and I will, I will react. All right. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about all the other universes that you have played in. Um, X-Files, Star Wars, Dune, uh, novelizations of things like League of Ex- uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen. Is there somebody else's universe you would like to play in and haven't yet? Well, you know, my stepson loves My Little Pony. I'm not sure <laughs> that that would be one that I would, I would devote too terribly much in. Um, I've also worked for, for Batman and Superman, and um, there there is nothing that's just sitting there calling to me. I, I've also written for Star Trek and some other things. So, um, no, I mean, my, my creative plate is pretty full, and I've got various other projects that are in the works. And um, in fact, in my office, I have this um, this big poster that just says has the word on it that says "no" with an exclamation point. It's like <laughs> like um, nine inch tall, big bold black letters, because I've got so many interests, and everything sounds cool to me. That when somebody asks me, "Would you write this or would you do this one?" I I just just last night, I delivered a short story um, that features my my zombie private investigator, whose name is Dan Shamble, uh, yes. and they wanted me to write something for a weird Western story. So I've got weird Western cowboys and a zombie private investigator together in one short story. So, yeah, I can pretty much do any sort of creative mashup. Um, I just love what I'm writing. And I love telling stories, and I 
love my imaginary friends, my characters, even though I often do really terrible things to them. Um, but no, I'm I'm not sitting around all day going, gosh, I wish the the Transformers people would have me write a novel for them or yeah. something. I'm uh, I, I'm kind of reactive, trying to catch up on all the things I've committed to, rather than out hunting for new stuff. <laughs> What's it like collaborating? You, like uh, Larry Niven, do a lot of collaboration with, with people and with different people. Is it like dating different folks? How, how does it work for you? Well, it is, and, and I've written I've written 30 books with my wife, Rebecca Mesta, and yeah. we stayed married for 25 years, so somehow that one, that collaboration has worked out <laughs> well. Um, I've collaborated with Dean Kuntz and with... Um, Brian Herbert, I've done all of the Dune novels, plus some novels of our own, and uh, Doug Beeson, who is a retired colonel from the Air Force. We've written a bunch of high-tech thrillers together. Um, there are some writers that, that kind of hoard their ideas, that they uh, they don't want to tell anybody what they're working on. They're afraid it's going to uh, dilute it or something or ruin the story. But uh, I get so fired up with what I'm working on. I just love talking about it. I, I love brainstorming and exchanging ideas. So uh, it works well for me to be working with another writer that, uh, like when Brian Herbert and I are doing a Dune novel, and we've got our, I think it's our 15th one called Navigators of Dune coming out in September. Um, we just sit around and we go, how about this and how about that? And, and we characterize it as like a an impromptu jazz performance that we are playing, we're each playing our own instruments, but uh, we know each other well enough that, that we make great music together and, and um, we just know what each other is doing and we can react to it and bounce ideas and, and riff off of this and, and do a counterpoint to that. Um, but you have to be a certain kind of writer to do that because some writers are, you know, my every word is precious, and how dare you change a comma? And <laughs> that sort of writer doesn't work for a collaborative uh, effort. When when you set up something like that, when you're doing a, one of those uh, riffing with each other, do you have a recorder going just in case you forget later on or, uh, or wake up the next morning and say, what was that we said? Mm, no, because we're, we're both talking about it. We're, we're often taking furious notes or something. Uh, but, you know, if it's... If it's truly a brilliant idea, you're not going to forget it. And yeah. everything is so integrally connected that, you know, if you forget one piece, you can watch how the threads are connecting and, and figure it out, I think. Mm -hmm. You have a busy schedule. In addition to writing everything under the sun, you do a lot of attending of cons and uh, all over the country, as I understand. Oh, man, I think we've got 22 of them set up for this year with... Um, you know, everybody's heard of like San Diego Comic Con or New York Comic Con, but but it's almost like old Ma Bell breaking up into baby bells. Yeah, that's not too ancient a reference for people listening. <laughs> um, but there are now major pop culture comic cons in almost every large city, or at least one comic con year. Mm -hmm. um, there's like several in Dallas and several in Salt Lake City. And uh, just last weekend, I was in Miami for a large convention where we set up and I've got other authors that are kind of together as a, as a creative artist collective almost. And I'm, I'm running this company where we have other authors and I have a publishing company that I run. So we bring some of our authors and we have this big table with our books and we have um, banners and, and uh, 
you know, 20,000 people, 50,000 people, 100,000 people come to these conventions. And we spend the weekend where, you know, they come up and they, they meet us. They'll shake my hand. They'll get their books autographed. They'll get a photo taken. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing that like two or three times a month now, all year long. And so that's traveling around. I've got, um, one coming up in, what's my next one? Pensacola, Florida. And then there's Kansas City and then Salt Lake City and Chicago. And, uh, so I'm running around all over the place, but, you know, an author just, can't sit in a cabin in the mountains and expect people to telepathically discover the books. You have to be an entertainer as well and, and, uh, meet people and, and, you know, bathe regularly and have a decent personality. And, uh, it's, it's the whole package to get people out there to, to buy your books. And, and I also teach writers workshops. I got a couple of those coming up in February and, um, I, you know, you can see why I put this sign up in my office that says no, because I say yes to too many things. Well, and I'm glad you said yes to to talking with us today, because that's another uh, something that takes your time. It's very appreciative of it. <laughs> well, it is one of those where uh, I had somebody write me last night from a different one of my publishers saying, you know, we're really fired up. Can we set you up for like 50 interviews? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do have to write at some point or other. Otherwise, I won't have anything to talk about next year for the interviews. But, uh, but no, I, I enjoy talking about my books, especially you know I'm, uh, the the projects that I'm in. I'm I'm fairly passionate about because you know you're. This isn't just like um, making Christmas cookies. This is something that that you really put a lot of time and energy and emotions into, and and you want it to be good, and you want people to read it, and. Um, that entails, you know, a little bit of like work and going out and talking to people and, and getting your picture taken and signing their books and, and hoping that they'll read something else yours. I want to ask a couple of questions about your other hat as a small press publisher. What do you look for when you publish when you're in that side of the counter? Well, it's that one I'm kind of falling into backwards. It's, it's a little unusual because I, I launched Wordfire Press just as a way to bring back a bunch of my own books into print because in in the traditional model of publishing that your book would come out and it would sell for a few years and, and then they would let it go out of print and you'd get the rights back but nobody else would reprint it because it's an old book, nobody wants it. Yeah. And because I'm fairly prolific, I had lots of my titles that had been published and I'm like I said, I, I always work really hard. I think that there are good books. Uh, one of which was Resurrection 8, the first book that was inspired by the Rush album. So they're all out of print and nobody wants to reprint them. And I'm sitting there and fans would be writing me excited when they'd find a dusty old copy at a used bookstore. And, and technology has changed in the past, oh, five, five years or so. Publishing has effectively gone through the industrial revolution that, um, things are being done differently now. And there are, are ways that just some guy like me can put up Resurrection Inc. as an ebook on Kindle. And then uh, once you learn what you're doing, you can expand and put it out not just on Kindle, but also out for the Nook and for the iPad and for the Kobo. And, and so you spread those out. And then we learned how to um, print the books as well as doing ebooks. And oddly enough, we started making as much money by just uploading our old backlist titles as I got paid for them in the first place. Yeah. So not that I got 
paid a lot for my first novels anyway, <laughs> but still, they weren't earning me any money at all, just yeah. sitting there on the shelf and, and being sold in used bookstores. And so we figured out how to do that and do it fairly well. And then other authors came to us because they could see the potential, but they didn't want to learn how to do it because it's, it's a big learning curve. I had um, several employees who were working on it and uploading books. So Brian Herbert, my co-author on the Dune books, mm-hmm. asked me to put up his backlist titles. And uh, then when they found that a bunch of Frank Herbert's classic novels were out of print and major publishers didn't want to reprint them, so I put up the Frank Herbert backlist. And then uh, by an interesting uh, set of circumstances, I got all the rights to um, probably the greatest political novelist who ever lived, Alan Drury, uh, who wrote a book called Advice and Consent that won the yeah. Pulitzer Prize and spent 54 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, we got all of his books and started releasing those. And and it kind of snowballed from there. So we mainly were reprinting novels by my friends or, or people who had um, decent track record. And and they did so well that they started giving us original books that had never been published before because, um, you know, for me, you don't make a lot of money from a big advance up front, but you keep getting checks and keep getting checks. They're, they're not huge checks, but when you add them up, they come out to be a fair amount. And, in fact, just last month, we released a brand-new novel by Alan Dean Foster, who's a New York Times bestselling author. A lot of people have read his stuff. He wrote... Uh, the novelization for, um, uh, I think it was a minor independent film that just came out called Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Yeah. So we've got we've got his new novel, um, and that's done great for us. And so we we're kind of running running as we're trying to tie our shoes because this is really taking off for us, and it's it's very successful. And we're looking at some new books, but I don't quite have the staff to be reading mountains of, of submissions yet. And, and, you know, sometimes our books have come to us by accident that somebody will, uh, you know, talk to me or they'll bring me something at one of these conventions. And uh, we're, we're looking at doing some fairly decent expansion in the coming year. But, um, but we're being cautious and conservative because uh, there's a, a classic but unfortunately all too true joke about publishing about you know how how you make a million dollars in publishing is first you start with two million dollars <laughs> yes <laughs> so i i'm kind of being careful to to not lose a million in order to make a million so, there you go uh, it's, it's you have a, a great regard for the fan it seems like you're, you're really in tune with that Ed, are you a collector yourself a book I, collector Oh, I'm not a collector at all, but I'm a I'm a super fanboy. I mean, I'm, yeah. uh, I grew up in this this little town in Wisconsin and watching Star Trek and and you know, playing my imaginary Space 1999 episodes when I was a kid, running around out uh, with, with some of my friends. And um, it, I grew up being a fan, and now I'm basically a professional fan. So I get to, um, you know, write stories that feature Batman or Luke Skywalker or Paul Atreides and or working with the band Rush or, or you know, writing comic books and you know, this is the coolest job in the world for somebody who, who grew up as a fanboy. So um I understand them when I'm when I'm at a convention and people are 
coming up to me dressed as as Deadpool or as Conan or Indiana Jones or whatever. I get that. I grew up with people like that. And um, it, but fandom now has just changed so much from what it was when I was when I was a kid. I mean, you were sort of the the pariah outcast if you read comic books or or weird sci-fi stuff. But now it's become mainstream, and and uh, you know we're not all like characters from The Big Bang Theory. We're we're <laughs> often often can be normal. <laughs> well, I, th- I think Time Magazine a while back called, called the Rise of the Nerd or something like that, and those of us who spent time there going, yeah, about uh-huh. dang time, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all those of us who were like in high school getting picked on by the by the cool kids on the football team, and now mm-hmm. we've grown up and. And the cool kids in the football team sort of work for us in the mailroom, and now we're running the computer companies and stuff. So. Yeah. What, what, revenge, yes. 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 What is what is the the Martin Luther King quote about the you know, the timeline is long, but the universe bends towards justice, or something like that? And I, yeah. I, I, uh, that may be a bit a little bit too highfalutin for fandom. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, let's take a look at where you're headed right now. Give us a peek behind the curtain uh, and let us see, you know, what what's in the works. Uh, we can, you know, we are fanboys too. We drool over finding out what's coming up next. Wow, I'm trying to figure out where am I now. I've just it's usually like running in place, just trying to keep up. Um, well, like I said, we've got like 22 big conventions uh, this year that we're doing uh, uh, shows for. And a week from today, uh, my wife and I are running the sixth and sixth year in a row of something that we do called the Superstars Writing Seminar, which is a sort of like a grad level three day intensive writing seminar that's all about the business and career building and how publishing works. And uh, we have like 120 attendees for that, and seven best selling authors and and major editors and and stuff for guest speakers. Um, I'm, I'm putting in all this detail because I'm handling all this stuff right now. My wife and I are, are juggling all those those things, and that starts in a week. And then um, I've got the Pensacola, no, uh, Salt Lake City Convention the week after that, and then the Pensacola Convention the week after that. And then uh, my wife and I are going up to the Oregon coast where we're helping to teach a, a workshop on short story writing for which we have to write read we have to read 96 short stories that were submitted to us and we've got mountains of these manuscripts piled on the on the table um anyway for the for the main thing i've got uh my my dune book navigators of dune comes out in september so we're you know doing the final editing and proofreading and stuff on that and at the in the same week or one week after that um, I've got another major book called uh, Eternity's Mind, a huge science fiction space opera, which is the third book in a, uh, my Saga of Shadows trilogy. The first book in that uh, was nominated for the Hugo Award last year. So uh, I've got in September these two gigantic books that are coming out, plus I'm promoting all over the place, uh, and uh, with a co-author, another co-author, um, I'm just now starting work on a really cool sort of U.S. history, American fantasy uh, about like colonial America and the early days of America, where magic works. And our book is called Lewis and Clark in the Ar- in the Arcane Territories. So, mm. following Lewis and Clark through not just the American West, but an American West where there are things like dragons and dinosaurs. And stuff. So, 
You are so much fun. And, and those of us who are based in Oregon, knowing that you're coming to town, we'll, uh, we'll go, ooh, he's going to be in the state. Yeah, it, it's sort of a private, it, it's just a private workshop that we're doing in, on the coast. So it's yeah. not a book signing that they can see me. I, I was at Rose City Comic Con in Portland last uh, September or October, and we may well be back again this year. I, I don't even know what my fall convention schedule looks okay. like yet. But um, But you can... Follow me on Twitter at the word the with my initials, KJA, or just look up my name on Facebook. I've got like a fan page and stuff on there. Okay. And I'm and always it, posting where my travels are. And, and I would quote my website, but it's in the middle of being uh, revamped right now, so it's embarrassing. So I wouldn't want people to look at it quite yet. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we, Roger, there's lots and lots of stuff going on, and, and we could uh, probably do a four-hour interview and cover some of it. But right. uh, we don't want to overwhelm people. It's we want to give them time to go out and, and read. And after books. they read yes. Clockwork Lives, they know that they should get off their butts and, and go and make their lives an epic. And, and I think that's a great closer for us, and, unless there's anything that I haven't asked you want us to talk about. Nope, I think that covers us, and, and it gives people a taste, I think, so they can go out and check out some books. So thank you very much for having me on the show. All right. Uh, Kevin J. Anderson, in person on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. You've been listening to Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio with book specialist Roger Nichols. Be sure to check us out at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com.